Welcome to 30 Minutes of Growth, the all-action, all-growth marketing podcast that's all within half an hour. It features three segments with three playbooks you can use right away. And I'm your host, Alex Garcia. So let's do this. Yo, Nick, I appreciate you coming on. Just give a, a quick, like, one-minute intro of yourself. I know most people know you, but just uh, a little background. So the quick background is I'm super young. I got into this world of marketing and commerce kind of by accident, actually. I started out in high school, got really into social media, I think as all high schoolers at least now do, uh, maybe not so much back then. And, uh, you know, I didn't have the best grades. So my thought was, okay, if I, if I get really good at something, then maybe that's, that's going to be worth it. And that ended up being marketing. And so I just kind of obsessed over marketing throughout high school, you know, a lot of times social media marketing. And then after high school, learned the whole world of paid marketing, publishers, media companies, you know, programmatic advertising. And uh, the evolution kind of led me to where I am today, working with direct consumer brands, CPG brands, and helping them with all things commerce and I guess customer acquisition even. Awesome. Well, we're going to take it for this first segment, basically back to your social media marketing days. So the first topic I, I want to go over is TikTok. You put out a tweet recently that said TikTok is underrated. And I had put one out yesterday as well. That was TikTok is underrated. And I shared these stats, has 1 billion active users, has been installed on over 3 billion devices. Only one fourth of their users are between 10 and 19. One third have an average income of 100K plus, And then also has the highest engagement rates of any social media app. Then linking this to your tweet, you said, we recently built a wait list of 25,000 people for a brand we launched, garnered 5 million plus views and put a company on 6 million ARR with zero in ad spend. I want you to, if you can, break this down. Um, I know this was a, a pre-launch campaign for Jolly. What was the playbook? What did you do to drive these results? Because I've been speaking to a ton of people that have been saying like kind of wild stories like this on, on they've used TikTok and they'll be like, yeah, we drove literally 100K downloads or some." Something wild, and it was completely organic. So can you break down what you did? I'll start with the first point, which is that it's super underrated. TikTok combines like everything we love out of different platforms and puts it into one. So you get the, well, Facebook, people don't really use as much. Instagram, I would say you kind of get to see the highlight reels of your friends, right? So you have that following feed. And if you follow your friends, you see that there. They're not necessarily getting a ton of views, which is fine, but you might see their montage of them going on a road trip or whatever they're doing. Out of Twitter, you get a lot of news. You get a lot of like live updates. You get you basically get the news before it becomes the news. It's very quick. It's concise. It's educational. And you're always kind of learning something out of it. That is really what does well on TikTok. It's very much a storytelling platform. And that also combines with YouTube, right? You're like learning something through video. The other thing that you get out of TikTok is like Pinterest style and Google style, like high intense searching. So if you're like, actually, this is how I designed like a weightlifting workout at the beginning of this year. I just searched like arm workouts for men. And then all of a sudden you get, you know, thousands of videos and you can just go through and start to pick and choose. But it's, it's an incredible search engine, and I think that it's going to be one of the largest search engines very soon. And then the last piece to it is like, uh, it ties to the next point, which is, you know, building that wait list. And if you use TikTok in the right way, if you're doing these things, if you're educating, if you're providing value, which essentially just means like you're entertaining somebody, whether that's through being funny, educational, teaching them something, inspiring something, 
uh, you will do pretty well on TikTok. I just put up a TikTok two days ago where I just said, you know, I've been doing these like fancy edited videos that I'll, I'll throw up and they'll get a few thousand views. I put up a video on how I cold emailed Mark Cuban and like thousands of views in a matter of like 30 minutes. So you get, it, it's, it's a platform where if you respect the culture of the platform and its content, you'll be rewarded by views, engagement, reaching the right people, et cetera. That kind of leads me to the next point, which is uh, with this brand, Jolie, you know, it's basically a showerhead and it's positioned as a beauty tool. And so there's, there's some cool storytelling angles behind it. The main one being that when we drink water, it's purified. When we wash our clothes, we use like the best detergents and softeners. And when we shower, we use basically tap water, right? And like, why do we do that for the largest organ in our body? So with Jolie, the entire point is like your skin, your hair, your nails can be better, stronger, healthier with the right filtration in your shower water. And so uh, we actually worked with a TikToker and, you know, basically she created a bunch of content on her own. She's very good at like going viral. And then we also did a handful of TikToks on the Jolie account. And by we, I mean Jolie, not me. And so we were testing at the same time we were running TikTok. We were also running just very basic like Facebook ads, driving to a landing page where people then sign up and uh, get a water report. They get a localized water report on the quality of their water to their zip code. That was how we got people in the wait list by gamifying the fact that you get something out of it. So again, like providing that value. And so comparing what we did on Facebook, right, to what we did on TikTok, TikTok's conversion was significantly higher. I think the on-page conversion rate was like 80%, whereas with Facebook, it was around like 50 to 65, which anything over 25 is like, you've got a good business coming. Anything over 40, you've got a really good business Anything over 60, like, you know, Lights throw out. money at it. Yeah. 80%, it's like, all right, this is a unicorn waiting to happen. So anyway, so we started running on TikTok. And then the second we realized how great TikTok traffic converts when we put out the right content, we just shut Facebook off. And then, you know, the real test was around launch day. Okay, how many of these emails are going to convert to paying customers and subscribers? And a lot of them did. And that's where we got that uh, revenue from. So Jolie and... The influencer, were those the only two essentially people creating content or was there also another list of of influencers that you guys worked with that were creating uh, UGC on behalf of the brand? There was a couple of interns making content on the brand account. Mm -hmm. And then we just had actually one creator making content pre-launch. After the product went live, there was just an insane amount of UGC. I think half the product page at this point is actually just UGC or like screenshots of reviews or screenshots of text messages, which I also think is like a really cool way to market the product on its PDP and PDP is product page. But yeah, it was all one person. I think her name is Nadia. She's got a couple million followers and she's just an absolute genius with creating content. The beauty too, like I think the coolest part about it is, you know, somebody might hear this and think, wow, we've got to get on TikTok. Let's make a strategy. Let's think about all the TikToks we're going to make. And that's definitely one way to do it, right? You could sit down and say, all right, we're going to make a ton of TikToks around these four or five different pillars. And every day we're going to post X amount, or we're going to plan out the next 25 TikToks. 
the way she did it was really fascinating. She just like every TikTok she posted was really raw and basic and kind of scrappy. It would take her less than a minute between deciding, all right, I'm going to shoot a TikTok to it's up on her page. Wow. And I mean, I think she posts like probably 10 to 25 times a day. But with that frequency, like, you know, she goes viral every day because one out of every maybe 10 or 15 are, are really popping. And so that was kind of the strategy we use, which was basically like, can we be high frequency, high value to whoever's watching it? Like, can we teach them about water quality, why this is necessary, et cetera? And like, how many times can we make this thing pop to where people see it to the point where they want to leave TikTok, go to their browser, because they're not clicking anything, but go to their browser, fill this thing out, and then wait for it. One thing I think is fascinating about this is how you're positioning a showerhead as a beauty product, right? So then on that end, then the storytelling has to be on point, right? Like you have to use different storytelling formulas, whether it's like before or after bridge and like kind of to be able to paint that picture. How did you guys frame the stories to be able to basically convince someone that this showerhead is going to improve? It's not just a showerhead. It's actually going to improve your health and improve your your body and uh, the way you look. All that credit, I would say, goes to the founder. Uh, his name is Ryan Babenzine. He's truly a genius, expert storyteller. He founded the sneaker company Greats that sold to Steve Madden. Yeah, he came up with this concept a while back. And actually, when he first told me about it, like months before you know, we started working together, it got me really excited because I was like, you know, one, this is a space that I think would do really well, which it did. And two, I thought it was genius the way he was positioning it, the way he thought through that, uh, the water report, you know, uh, was really, really smart. Like most people have a very low conversion rate of email capture in pre, pre-launch waitlist or pre-launch uh, a landing page where you collect an email, probably anywhere from like, I don't know, three to 10% is pretty average. And then adding that element of a water report localized to your zip code got him to 80%, which is, you know, amazing. The second topic I want to go into is kind of relevant to that. The 80% conversion rate is your lane is landing pages. Specifically, there's a two things I want to cover. The first is the current paid media setup. I think you I think you shared a graphic uh, or an image, sorry, uh, whether it was Twitter or your email. They showed the current paid media setup is paid media traffic, then it takes them to the homepage. And then there's all the distractions, right? Whether it's a collection page, somebody going to the product page, car, et cetera. And then the other side of it is the landing page journey, which is paid media traffic to landing page checkout order confirmation. With this, I'm sure you've done a ton of testing. What's the, what are some of the examples of difference in conversion rates of this? Because one, I get hit with ads all the time for different brands. I land on their site and it is, I do get hit with a homepage. And this is something I, it drives me crazy because I'm like, why are you not using a landing page? Because I I do then explore your your page. So can you break down some of the, the differences in conversion rates you, you've seen? The overarching reason to use a landing page is if you think about like walking into a boutique store, right? Let's say you walk into Everlane, for example, not super boutique, but everybody kind of understands what Everlane is. If you don't, Everlane's a clothing brand, kind of boutique feeling when you walk into their store. So you walk into the store, you say hi to the store associate. Basically, by the way that you're maybe dressed, your attitude, the way you talk, what you're wearing, the way your bag looks or your your hat, whatever, they might be able to assume exactly which part of the store to take you to, right? So the second you walk in, it's like, all right, we're going to bring this person in through kind of this 
uh, curated shopping experience that feels a little bit more tailored than if they were to just walk into the store and they have no idea what Everlane is. Because that's essentially what happens online, right? We, when somebody clicks in a prospecting campaign, meaning they haven't visited your site, uh, they come to your homepage and they're just like, all right, like, what do I do here? And if you're not guiding them through something, there's a good chance they're just going to leave. So with landing pages, the best thing that it does is depending on what stage of the marketing funnel somebody comes in from, whether this is the first time they've ever seen your brand, they've been to your site before, they abandoned cart, you know, maybe they've already been a customer. Depending on that, you can tailor the messaging and how the page looks. The other thing is the place they come from. So if they come from Google, and you know, even in Google, there's three different ways. There's branded, non-branded, and and conquesting, which is like somebody searches Levi's and then ends up on Everlane, right? Now that landing page is tailored to this is why Everlane is better than Levi's. Versus if somebody searches Everlane and they come in from Google, now your landing page is more focused on the most comfortable jeans on the planet or the most comfortable denim. And then it brings you right away to shop because they're like, all right, this person's searching for Everlane. They're coming in from Google. It's a high intent user. We don't need to focus too much on education. We just need to get them to shop. They're probably looking to get ready. They're probably looking to just buy and get out right now. If somebody comes from TikTok, uh, you probably want to think, okay, how do we, you know, TikTok is a platform that moves a mile a minute. How do we get somebody in, collect their email and follow up with them later? Maybe if they come from Facebook or Instagram, you might focus a little bit more on like why the denim of Everlane is so special before then maybe walking them into, again, depending on the funnel or the interest of that campaign, like maybe it's tops, maybe it's jeans, maybe it's shoes, whatever it is. So all that to say, landing pages kind of help you create these more personalized experiences in addition to, or I should say, you know, kind of side by side, you create this like red carpet-like experience. So if Alex comes to the Everlane site and hits the homepage, and he's interested in checking out a pair of jeans, he might go to the homepage, then he clicks the denim collection, and then he scrolls down and scrolls down, and then he finds a pair of jeans, and then he sees reviews, right? It's up to him to like choose a size and buy it. With a landing page, if it's all around denim, maybe the first section of the landing page is focused entirely on, you know, how Everlane's denim is actually, you know, where it's sourced from, how it's manufactured, Why is it superior to other companies? Now, regardless of what denim product you're going to go buy, you're like, but it has to be Everlane. So now you're bought into Everlane as a brand. And then from there, the landing page might show you, okay, do you want to look for denim jackets, denim jeans, denim shorts? I actually don't know what all they sell, but I'm just assuming here. But you get to create this red carpet experience where now you don't have to go leave and start Googling, you know, Everlane denim, uh, where is it from? reviews, size guide, you know, how does it fit? All this ideally is put into one landing page experience. The way I like to say it is like, it's your job to be, you know, Kim Kardashian's assistant on the red carpet. Kim Kardashian is your customer who's coming to your site. You're the assistant that has to make sure anything this person needs is right there in front of them in a very organized and easy to understand manner. Otherwise you're going to, you have a very good chance of just losing the sale because you know, if they go Google Everlane denim pros and cons, like Google serving competitor ads right there, and somebody's going to find that, click it, and you know, there's a good chance you'll lose it. 
Another way I've, I've kind of seen this frame is that with a landing page, you, the key is like, you keep the scent trail the same, right? Like the, the exactly. scent of, yeah. If, if the, the headline in, in a Google ad is X, then you relate that landing page to take that headline and now tell the story of that headline. Right. And that makes such a drastic difference. It's funny you say that. That is probably like the first thing I even, even people that don't use landing pages, you know, they'll like, again, let's use Everlane because they're fun to pick on. Uh, you might click an Everlane ad for denim and then you get to the homepage and you're, you're clicking an ad for men's jeans. You get to the homepage and it's like a woman in a top and you're just like, yeah. wait a second, what, what, what just happened here? Yeah, yeah, what happened? So a lot of times too, like the problem with the homepage is, you know, a homepage is like a revolving door. It's always changing and it's usually not dictated by the growth team, depending on the company size, a company like Everlane, it's probably not dictated by the growth team. There's probably a separate like e-commerce and merchandising team that curates that. Um, But landing pages is where, you know, the growth team gets to decide what the web experience looks like. Can you walk me through your landing page structure formula? I know you did a deep dive on this that that was uh, comprehensive. Can you walk me through it? It changes pretty often. But uh, like last night, for example, our team came up with a new structure. But the general structure, you know, I like to say is like push and pull. You want to push in the sense of explaining why you're worthy of this person's money, uh, their attention, their time, and being in their closet or being in their kitchen or wherever, whatever you're selling. And then you want to pull with, you know, come by us, uh, basically a call to action to get them to do it. And so uh, I like sections to be al- alternating. So like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I like to start with a hero section, big copy that caters to why you want it. So if like you see this landing page, you get there, uh, maybe the hero is, is like, denim jeans on a dude and the headline is you know finally jeans that don't twist your balls and you're like all right this like finally uh jeans that won't you know twist my balls i like that because that's that's a benefit you look for in jeans and so that's like um that's like and then you have a shop now so that that would actually be pulling but then underneath you might have like for example a brag bar those are just press logos where everlane's featured again this also depends on where the traffic is coming from the demographic of that traffic, you know, if it's somebody younger, uh, maybe a millennial, maybe it's like a pop sugar logo. If it's an older person, maybe it's like a New York times logo or travel and leisure. If it's a super young person, maybe it's like a review from an influencer or like just a general customer review you can never go wrong with, but you know, you basically go hero, you, you add some validation through quotes or, or a brag bar, uh, you can get into why Everlane is so special or why, Ever, in this case, maybe Everlane's denim is so special. Then you could get into a shop section. So you kind of have your curated shop section that's either like a grid of products or you're highlighting one specific hero product. You know, I like to add like a section of reviews. I like to add a section of UGC if it's apparel or something expensive. Ideally, if you can, you show like a before and after uh, competitor comparison chart is great to have, you know, more press quotes. You can never have too much social proof or too much validation. And then, you know, one thing that I like to add too is like four reasons why, why you should try, uh, mm. Everlane denim. And for that, you just reverse engineer whatever the top reviews are. So if you see that out of 10,000 reviews, your top four things are like the stretchiness or, how long it lasts or that it's machine washable. You just focus on those top four things there. 
And yeah, and you just keep kind of balancing the push and pull throughout the page. The last thing that you just touched on about like looking at reviews and then using that to highlight like the four benefits. That's something I was, I'm working with this TTC company here in Austin called Prep to Your Door. And it's literally what we did for the competitor side to compare us against the competitors. I looked at the negative reviews for, I don't want to name them, but like for our competitors, use that in the copy. And then the same thing, got our positive reviews, got the main keywords, highlights, and was and plugged that into the landing page. Results, conversion yeah. rate was higher, right? Like Exactly. Very, very simple. <laughs> yeah, your best copy, your best headlines, your best testimonials, your best ideas for creative, they, they're all just living in DMs and reviews. The last thing I want to discuss, which kind of goes back to what you were saying about if personalizing the experience of customers to talk about zero party data. So I think this is an exact quote from you. The best way to think of zero party data is, is it helps explain your first party data even better. Zero party data equals adjective. First party data e- equals noun. Can you break down what you mean by this? So there's there's zero party, there's first party, there's second party, and there's third party. I'm sure fourth and fifth exist. I have no clue what they are. I'll start with third party first because everybody's familiar with that. Third party is data you get from other sources. It's not necessarily data that you might be able to like use or implement, but it's like it's basically just information. Second party data is data from other sources that you can actually acquire and leverage. For example, if you go to Oracle or Experian, you buy a list of customers that you're going to market to. That's called second-party data. First-party data is data that you own. So that's like uh, Alex Garcia is a customer. That's first-party data. I have his name, his address, and what he bought. Zero-party data is like it adds on to that profile. So I know that Alex lives in Austin. He's a male. He's interested in media and entertainment, and he works out. That's zero-party data. And the reason it's great is because uh, for the brands or the media companies that have the resources to do this, let's say we're launching, uh, let's say our our company is called Sniff. We're launching scents. If we launch a new scent, they just launched a scent called Strawberry Moon. So the normal email that goes out to everybody might be Strawberry Moon, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Because we know Alex is in Texas and he works out, our email to Alex is actually going to be Meet Strawberry Moon, the scent, the perfect scent that uh, stays on during the summer or uh, the scent that never goes away when you sweat. Like you can tailor messaging that's even more personalized to Alex based on the data that we have. You know, if you're doing this at scale, ideally you, you kind of bucket it up a little bit. Maybe everybody in Texas sees something different than the rest of the country. Or maybe you choose your five major markets, California, Texas, New York, Florida, and maybe um, Massachusetts, for example, those five might have separate emails simply because you have that data, but it just allows you to enhance your marketing by like, you know, 2%, which in the long run makes a huge difference. And obviously you'll just keep adding more and more to that. You know, you might know down the road that Alex, Alex is in a relationship, Alex drinks this, Alex drives this kind of car. And so all these things will basically just enhance your marketing. And I mean, marketing technology gets more and more innovative every week. And so, you know, who knows, there might be a platform soon that if you have this data and you plug it in, like you might be able to leverage it in some pretty cool ways. The Hustle did something similar where 
I don't know if you, you've seen it, but they launched this when I was there where when you sign up for the hustle, it didn't just take you to a thank you page. It took you to a page that said last step, select topics. And then it showed topics like clean energy, emerging tech, e-com, retail, privacy issues, et cetera. And then you pick the topics and then they curated the newsletter based on those topics. And then based on that data too, then they would be able to upsell trends differently based on the topics that that you selected. Yeah. So that's that's a perfect example of it. What sequences and flows have you found to be most inf- uh, effective in collecting zero-party data? Honestly, like quiz funnels are probably the easiest to use. I still think one of my favorite examples, OG example, is Harry's Razors. Like right after you make a purchase, they just have like yes or no questions. You know, enter your birthday for a special gift on your birthday. Okay, put your birthday in. Have you been shaving for more than three years? Yes. Do you buy shaving cream at the grocery store or, uh, you know, Target? Yes. All this data, they're like very simple questions that people answer and people probably think nothing of it, but it gives them so much data down the road, uh, whether it's like going to Target and saying, hey, this is why we deserve an end cap because 75% of Harry's customers drive uh, or buy their shaving cream at a store like Target. So if you give us an end cap, we can basically guarantee sell through. Yeah, there's so many different ways to use this data, but it's extremely powerful and it can be it can be extracted either through a survey, a quiz, uh, you know, something like what Harry's did post purchase. And it really depends on like what you do with it. Does it change along the customer journey, right? Like as in after someone signs up for your email list and then you get a certain kind of zero party data there and then it's different when like post purchase? I think so. You know, I think different stages, uh, like in a perfect world, you could do this after every every milestone, right? Signs up for a newsletter. Okay, why'd you sign up for a newsletter? What do you want to see? Do you do this? Do you do that? Uh, makes a purchase, depending on the exact product they purchase. Maybe you ask a specific set of questions. They purchased for three months now. Okay, let's go back and ask them a few more questions. They're now a customer for a year. Let's ask them a couple more questions. I think the more the merrier, it's probably more of just a thing about resources to get all those questions out. Are there any set of questions that are like kind of your go-to to collect good data that then influences the content you use, the emails you push, et cetera? I personally don't do it a ton. Now that I'm under work week, it's now a part of that onboarding. So if somebody fills out their email address, uh, they get taken to the work week site and you know they'll answer like their position, how big the company is they work at, what company they work at, what do they want to see out of the newsletter, and that'll probably help with like the content I create or, you know, if we do partnerships or events, like that'll help dictate how those look. But yeah, I actually haven't done a ton of it personally, and I'm really excited to get into it. Awesome. Well, Nick, we just hit the 30 minute mark. I appreciate you so much for being on here. This was a blast. This is our first time finally chatting. Finally chatting. After, yeah. After talking, whether DMing it was via DMs, like tw- yeah, Twitter or whatever, um, yeah. for a minute now. So I appreciate you jumping on. I hope you're in Austin next Friday after LA, but also please plug in your, your Twitter handle, your newsletter, everything that people get can consume more content from you. Yeah. Twitter is at Mr. Sharma, M R S H A R M A. And the email you can find if you go to nick.co slash email. So N-I-C dot, N-I-K dot C-O, not N-I-C, N-I-K dot C-O slash email. Awesome. Um, last question, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? 
Neither. <laughs> what movie then? What, what movie? Uh, what's it called? Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Mall Cop? Fair. I haven't watched it in a minute, but all right. Interesting yeah. choice. Or one of my OG <laughs> favorites is actually the game plan with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Is that the one that he's like a tooth there? He has the daughter. Yeah. Is that, am I thinking? Okay. That's yeah. old. Old. That is old. Oh, yeah. man. That's like a Disney-ish kind of movie. Yeah, super Disney. Super old. <laughs> well, awesome, dude. I appreciate you so much for, for getting on here and uh, also excited to see your journey with Work Week. So thank you. Yeah, likewise, man. Thank you for tuning in to 30 Minutes of Growth. If you want to hear more all-action growth insights, be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast so you can hear our next episode first.